My name is Andre Liebenberg. I'm the Chief Executive Officer of Yellowcake PLC. Yellowcake is a uh, holder of physical ura uranium. We've created an opportunity for investors to invest in the uranium commodity through the, the stock of the company. Uh, uranium is a very difficult commodity to own personally, uh, individually, and, and even for most investors. So Yellowcake has been set up to create that opportunity for investors. Andre, good to see you. I'm going to say welcome to, to, Cape, to Cape Town, but you're from here. This is my hometown. This is your hometown, raised and born. Born and raised, sorry. Not born here, but... but, but okay, oh, fantastic. Well, look, um, you have been at the one-to-one -one, um, conference. Um, I think there's Anna's and Derby going on um, as, as well in the background, but you're, who have you been meeting? We've come here to really uh, spread the story uh, around uranium and, and yellow cake specifically. Uh, it's, it's always a good opportunity um, because the mining industry congregates here and, and it's not only the people you see within the one-to-one -one conference, but it's walking around, bumping into people you've known from, you know, I've, I've been in this industry for 25 odd years. So uh, both, you know, um, talking to investors, uh, engaging with investors and with, with other people in the mining sector. Right. So let's, I think it's really important that we kind of kick off and try and understand your business model as in, well, one, perhaps maybe what the thesis was when you kicked off and started, and then two, how you go about funding the, the business of buying physical uranium. Right. So, so when we set Yellow Cake up back in July 2018, I mean, we started working on the project in, in, in 2017. And at that time, we were in a you know, seriously oversupplied spot market. Uh, we saw Kaz Adamprom and Cameco take the first steps to curtail production. The Langham Heinrich mine had been put into care and maintenance. Uh, you know, we, we saw uranium 17 to $20. Uh, and and you know, very simplistically for us, when we looked at supply and demand, it just seemed that, that this commodity had to go up. It was at the bottom end of the cycle. Uh, you know, demand was visible and growing, not spectacularly, but supply, you know, we hadn't seen any new supply being built and we saw supply starting to come out of the market. So that, that really was the, the thesis for, for setting up yellow cake. Right. But as it turns out, there seems to be, the market seems to be awash with uh, in a product in terms of, that was 2017, 2018, 2019, 2021. We, we, here we are today in 2022. The market started moving really significantly from August last year. So it was... They seem to be like, well, do you agree with that? You know, because I, th I know a number of fund managers who perhaps said, now's the time, now's the time. But it just took a little bit longer than everyone expected. I mean, do you understand why? Well, two, two aspects to that. Uh, I think, firstly, the equity markets anticipated that, uh, you know, the fact that uranium had to go up. Mm -hmm. And we saw really from the fourth quarter of 2020, the equity market started moving up. You know, if you look at Global X uh, as the ETF proxy for the industry, it had gone up significantly, and yet the uranium price was, yeah. was had gone sideways. So, I think the equity market saw what was happening. You know, we'd, we'd seen the resolution of the uh, policy issues in the U.S. We saw the Democrats embracing nuclear. We saw a whole raft of countries making commitments to carbon neutrality uh, and, and increasingly nuclear was, was part of that discussion. So I think when we set ourselves up, you know, I always say that, that for me, uranium was a supply side story, not a demand side story. If you look at copper, you know, you look at demand, you look at China. I think in, in, in uranium, it was more around the supply side. Where was the supply going to come from? 
So, you know, I said there was sort of modest uh, demand growth in, in 2018. But as we went through with the policy issues being resolved, with the Democrats embracing um, nuclear, with these carbon you know, neutral commitments, the demand side looked look increasingly attractive. And then, with, you know, the excitement around small modular reactors. So I would argue where we sit today, the demand side looks better than it did back in 2018. And the supply side arguably looks worse. You know, in, in, in 2018, 19, uh, production was 100, 160 million pounds in 2016. Then it dropped down to 140 million pounds. We saw with COVID 2020, 2021, production of around 125 million pounds. This year is going to be 130 to 135, but demands, you know, north of 180. So we, we've, we've transitioned from an oversupplied market into an undersupplied market. And then, you know, we made a lot of purchases last year. There were other companies that made purchases. And then the, the Sprott Uranium Trust vehicle came to market and, and you know, had a, had a large impact on, on the spot market. So I think the setup for uranium today is about as good as it has been in, in a very, very long time. I know, I'd absolutely agree with that. I would agree with that. You know, I think we were talking about, you know, off camera about Chinese investing, you know, 400 billion in, in nuclear uh, reactor infrastructure. It's, it's Okay, someone's happy. Um, but we also needed a little bit of COVID um, affecting supply um, as well, didn't we? Do you know what I mean? It's like the opaque nature of this industry is the thing that fascinates me. The geopolitics is, 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 is interesting, but the, the fact that the data isn't kind of readily available to work out who's got what. You know, we, we, you've got some of the trade bodies saying, well, okay, we've got um, utilities sitting on, well, most recently, 18 months worth. Right. Normally they sit on what, two and a half, three years worth. So, so we, we can see what's happened there. But it, I just wondered why we couldn't read it better before sort of COVID came along and affected supply like it did for people to start paying attention to their sector. And I, the only reason I ask is because I think I'm, I'm wondering what else I may be missing in terms of the, the, the thesis or is it all out in the open now? Well, I think it just it's it's not one thing. So it's all incremental, you know, it builds and builds and builds. And then, you, you know, then, then, wouldn't say the dam burst, but, you, you know, the, the, the momentum builds. So I look back last year, uh, we did three equity raises. So our equity raise in Feb, March, we raised, uh, we wanted to raise $100 million to uh, draw down our Kaz uh, Adam Prom option for, for 2021. Yeah. The book was very heavily oversubscribed. We yeah. took $140 million. Um, but that $140 million came from essentially 25 investors. So these were guys who'd studied the market, had been looking at it for a long time and, and had conviction. When we did our third raise in October last year, we raised $150 million again with a you know significantly oversubscribed book. We had 65 investors or you know, between 60 and 70 investors in that same book size. So it shows you, well, for me, it was we transitioned from specialist with conviction to generalist. And, and the way I saw that unfold is I had a lot of inbound from generalists. We saw a, a lot of retail activity. When we IPO'd, we had no retail shareholders. We've got 23% today. And, you know, inbounds from journalists wanting to talk about uranium. So I think, you know, yes, the first wave of, of COVID uh, did sort of shine a light again on the supply side, which yeah. is my, my big point in this industry. You know, four countries produce three quarters of the world's uranium. Three of those countries were impacted by COVID. 
So, you know, the, the two commodities that popped during that COVID period were gold and, and uranium. And I think, you know, nothing creates attention when something goes up significantly. So I think that was, you know, kind of the start of the, the interest. But the interest in uranium certainly broadened. broadened right. Significantly. So can we look at some of the factors which have sort of changed the market dynamic since, you know, well, in the last, say, two, two and a half or so years, which is obviously you guys have been there for a while. Then you had this big old beast um, Sprott Physical Uranium Trust um, set up and start buying, you know, big amounts in the marketplace from sort of what, July sort of wow. time yeah, and, and, and really start to move the spot price, which is the thing that people look at. They look at the spot price, right? Companies need the term price, but the markets looks at the spot price. Uh, and then you've got ANU, which is the Kazatom Prom version of the same same. Um, concept, right? So you're taking lots of pounds out of the market, which is really, really good news. But the utilities kind of seem to have you know, held firm, as it were. They're not giving clues as to you know, how they're feeling about the, the supply deficit. Um, and there's not been a lot of term sheets, some term sheets, but not a lot of term sheets. Would you have expected them to be moving by now? I think they are moving. It's just they're not very, very visible. You know, the right. term contract, you know, look at Cameco's results for the first quarter. You know, they said they put 40 million pounds under contract in, in six weeks. You know, and that that's a big number. So I think, you know, again, you know, the, the supply side issues from COVID, yeah. supply chain, um, you, you know, Sprott, uh, ourselves, Sprott, uh, Kazakh unrest, you know, Ukraine invasion. It, it, it's one thing layered on top of another. And eventually, you know, it, it, it builds that momentum. Because yeah. I think if you if you look at the uranium price, when we IPO'd in, in 2018, we made our first purchase at 2101. Mm. Uranium, I think for 2019, traded 24 to 26 for the whole year. Then it sort of crept up to 30, and then it was 28 to 34. Yeah. And every, you know, we've got a 34 and then drifted back. And so I think, you know, the utilities probably thought, you know, that thing goes up and then drifts back. And we saw that, you know, when, when, when spot came to market, we went up to 40, then we drifted back, then we went to 50, we drifted back, 60, you know. So, um, but I think now the utilities will, you know, all the anecdotal evidence is that they are, are contracting or starting to contract. And, and for me, you know, when I look at the Paladin announcement, for the first time we've seen a utility write a contract on new supply. Um, you know, yes, it's a restart project, but that tells me that someone out there is seeing the need for new supply. Right. Um, so, you know, I, th I think that is a, is a huge positive. You know, some people get scared, well, there's new supply coming to the market. This is supply that's needed. Yeah. And, and, and the utility has seen that and said, I, I need to underpin that. How's, how Paladin is going to be producing how much a year? I think it'll go up to about four million pounds. So you need a lot more? You need a lot more. Right. Uh, you know, we, we do a lot of work with, with, the, with the McKinsey's Mindspan product, and their analysis shows that you short 30 million pounds by 2030 and a lot more by 2035. Now, mm. Kazakhstan as a country produces between 50 and 60 million pounds today. 30 million pounds is half your biggest yeah. you know, global supplier. So, and and it's, it, uranium doesn't appear at the flick of a switch. Yeah. It takes you know, does it five, ten years to permit, build, commission, deliver a, a mine that's fully operating? And so, then, and then you've got to process, process it, enrich it, 
uh, converted. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Then, then you know the other parts of the fuel chain are, are sort of more 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 immediate concerns. We, we, but, but I mean, just on that point, I mean, the, the, you mentioned the Russian Ukraine conflict at the moment, but also who the main players are. On the conversion enrichment side, I mean, Russia is, is what percent? 35, 40% of 35% of global conversion and, and about 45% of enrichment. Right. So there's not a quick fix for that. And you talked about energy security, that everyone's now sort of, well, it, you know, I think there was a kind of move towards globalization over the last 20, 30 years. We've seen that. And now with those sort of moves, uh, with, with, with COVID again uh, affecting supply chains, commodity pricing going up, and specifically energy pricing going up. That's, well, that's all going to change. That's, is that good news for uh, uranium and nuclear? You know, I, I think fundamentally, um, you, you know, if you need nuclear as, as base load power in a diversified energy portfolio, now you have energy security and, and the beauty about nuclear is it's very, very energy dense and you can store you know, a lot of uranium in a small space. So I think all of these factors have increased the, the, the sort of, you know, the positive side of, of, of nuclear and, and uranium. Um, but, you know, short term, you know, the, so that's medium to long term. I just think the, the story continues to grow in a, in a positive direction. In the very short term is what happens with conversion, you know, what happens with, with, with enrichment and what happens in the geopolitics, you know, does it, does something, you know, happen that we have a, you know, kind of unwind all the, the, the kind of tragedy of the last few months. Yeah. Uh, and, and, you know, if you're an enricher, you are saying to yourself, well, if I want to build new capacity, yeah. you know, we saw the world change very quickly in February. What happens if it changes again? you know, later in the year. So I think that uncertainty is very, makes it very difficult for, for people to make investment decisions. But do governments have to step in and kind of breach that gap? Because as you say, as a, as a bank, I'm not going to step into that situation. There's too many unknowns. Um, I could lose so it, it, it really depends how far the energy security debate goes, you know, where, where governments decide that it's, it's, it's that critical that they will underpin the financing for, for enrichment capacity. I don't know, you know, but it's, it's just... Um, but it's not only that, they have to underpin all the other energy as well in the meantime to make up for the deficit that well, the impact potentially, you know, you know that, that, that could occur. If you say, right, we're cutting off sanctioning all Russian energy supply, whether not just nuclear, but gas, yeah. et cetera, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, when you say cut off the supply, really what you are doing is, is that supply will redirect somewhere else to China. At, at, at a lower price. So you're effectively putting a tax on, on Russian energy. So, you know, it doesn't disappear. It, it goes somewhere else, but, but at a different price. So, um, yeah. But it's still going to fill the gap, and, and that's fine. Redistribution is fine, assuming there's enough of it. But if you were saying that there's a deficit in place, you know, something, you know, it's not like there's a someone's going to then, you know, redistribute energy from somewhere else over to you. There isn't any. No, no. On that side, you know, the conversion and enrichment. If you if you don't want to um, utilize, you know, r Russian product, you have to build your own. You know that. There's, there's no. We'll, we'll plug the gap with, with, with yeah. renewable or gas is, is, is where I was going, which is not necessarily always an, an, an option for you. We, we look what happened last year in August when the wind didn't blow in the UK. Yeah. You know, it was a, 
Was it? Well, no, because we, 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 we felt the effects of the price rises in, in country. We had over 30 energy um, um, companies go bust and the governments had to step in because the, there was no backup plan. And that's what I'm saying. It's, it's going to be very difficult for countries to just cut off the, the, the Russian option. Um, and it's going to be very costly to kind of step in and, and you know, cover the cost. So it, it, it's, it's, it's problematic. So therefore, is it unlikely that the politicians make these decisions? I, I think in the short term, is it unlikely? Maybe. But I think in the long term, it kind of doesn't matter because I think companies will look at their risk management you know, side of their business and say, you know, it doesn't matter what the governments do in the mid to long term. I'm going to make sure that I don't get into this situation again. So I think, you know, short term governments say, may say we're cutting off Russian supply or, or not. But I think longer term, someone is going to have to build capacity because I can't see, you know, utilities sitting here in five years time saying it's all OK. It was it all ended up fine. Combradine will sort it out. Yeah. yeah. So, so yeah. I think there's going to, going to be a fundamental shift. In, in how you know people think around the the fuel cycle and the fuel chain, but all of that I think is is a net positive for for uranium. Yep. Uh, so you know I don't see any any downsides for the uranium demand side in in, in those sorts of scenarios. You know we talk about the all this underfeeding, and now they're talking about overfeeding. You know that's a twelve to fifteen million pounds. Yeah, absolutely. So let, let's talk about some of the positives around that from the demand side. Okay, we, we mentioned China, four hundred billion towards infrastructure, but you, you also touched on it briefly. SMRs, lots of designs out there, lots of companies out there, lots of different use cases um, out there. That's that's also good news. I don't think anyone's have you have you got any numbers on that in terms of? Well, I don't think anyone's put a demand number on on SMRs yet, and you know it's not just sort of one isolated design out, out there. There are big companies, GE, Hitachi, Rolls Royce, you know, Bill Gates' operation. Um, there's you know China. The, uh, the US, Canada, all investing time and effort in, into small modular reactors. Um, and I think, you know, the beauty about these, these, these uh, machines is nuclear generates heat. You know, it's a very good generator of heat. And you can use that for district heating, for green hydrogen, for desalination. So, you know, if, if you think about a, a bank of, of, you know, many reactors that you can connect to the grid to generate electricity, disconnect when the wind and wind's blowing and the sun's shining, yeah. you know, make district, you know, district heating, hydrogen. I think the flexibility around that, um, and you can put them on existing sites. You know, you know, in the US, they're talking about putting them on coal, coal. Yeah, exactly. Station. You've got infrastructure connect there. Yeah. connectivity, you know, um, hopefully the permitting's a bit easier. You've got people who understand how to run thermal plants. You know, it's it's different technology, but so I, and and you know we don't know what that demand side looks like. I think the WNA are going to include that in their in, in their next demand side study. Okay, but I think you know that that that's a net positive again on the demand side. Yeah, it's going to plug and play, isn't it? That's a really nice yeah. idea. And certainly, it's an existing coal powered power yeah. station. Yeah. Brilliant. Or you know maybe you can put it on the existing nuclear you know facility sites. Right. Um, so.
And what, so, and what, what are the other things? Are the kind of drivers that you lead you to believe that the the demand is increased? I guess that, I guess the EU taxonomy, that that, that whole change of narrative that's gone on there. I, it's almost like politicians have been because of the energy crisis we've experienced here in Europe. Um, that the politicians politicians have been given permission to talk about nuclear again. That's what it feels like. Yeah, I think they're watching which way the wind's blowing. But, you know, if you South Korea, a change of leadership, a switch. You know, the, the, the Dutch coalition government want to extend the life of the existing facility and build a new one. Yeah. You know, the Belgians are, 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 yeah. have extended the life of theirs. You know, I think it's, it's, it's not out of desire, it's out of necessity. Right. You know, we, we need to, to find, you know, solutions to a low-carbon future and we need energy security. Who's, so, going to, who's going to tell the Germans? I think, yeah, I, you know, I, I just, I, I, I think that's going to be a, a bridge too far. I think yeah. they, they're committed, they've made their decisions, um, and, you know, it, it's going to play out. I, and I'd be very surprised if, if that turns around. But, you know, German demand is not going to drive this, 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 this industry. You know, if you look at what, what China's plans are, you know, they're, they're, they're incredible. You know, 50 gigawatts now to 75 gigawatts by 2025 to 110 gigawatts early 230s. Yeah. Um, you know, maybe they're over and under a, a bit, but they're, you know, they've, they've constructed, well, they had 17 at the time of Fukushima, 52 now, they're building 19. Yeah. So this is not a kind of, a, a, you know, a wish. Um, it's 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 a, a desire and necessity, and, and they have the capability. They can do it. So you, we, talk, we talk about you know, where is it going to come from, right? So you, you obviously had your option mm. with Kazatomprom. Uh, um, you know, I think there's a little bit of uncertainty as to where Kazatomprom will come out of this whole Russian potential sanctioning component because they obviously they're a sovereign state, but at the same time they're very closely aligned with Russia as far as the West is concerned, um, and they are big big producer of low-cost uranium. Um, where where do you think the new uranium is going to come from? Because if you look at Canada, Athabasca, it's got some issues around the length of time for permitting, fantastic deposits, no doubt about that. But can they get into production soon? You've got your African lower grade, but you know low, low cost, but low, lower grade stuff, which is a little bit easier on the permitting side. But, you know, decent scale to it. But who's going to fund that? Chinese is tradition. China's traditionally looked at Africa as that kind of breadbasket, as, as it were. Do they step in? What does that do to the geopolitics? Um, and then there's you know a little bit. Well, Australia obviously a little bit, but. It, 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 I'm not quite sure who the next cab off the rank is going to be. So if we sort of take take off the geopolitical wrapper and just look at you know pure resource, mm. you know, Kazakhstan's got a great resource base. They're operating at 20% below their subsurface levels, so they can you know there there is capacity there. But it, it doesn't come on tomorrow. Yeah. I think you know by by you know some of the reports from from them suggest that it could take up to 18 months to you know. To, to ramp up their existing capacity yeah, yeah. and then, you know, the development of new well fields and, 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 and um, you know, new resource basins or bases, then, then you've got to overlay the geopolitics and, and portfolio diversification issues. You know, Canada, as you mentioned, it's a great, great resource, but, but it takes time. Namibia, the two mines there currently, you know, that product goes to China. Um, you know, the, the, the two restart operations that, Boss and, and, and Paladin, but 
you know, in the context of, of the demand growth, it's not going to change the, the, the supply demand dynamic in any meaningful way. So I, you know, I still, I believe that in, in, in the three to five year time horizon, we, we are going to see, you know, the supply crunch issue is going to hit us. It, it is. Um, what's, it, what's it going to do please, someone like you? Because there's going to be all this demand out there, not a lot of supply coming through anytime soon. You know, you, you know, probably your, your models, you, you want to go out there and buy these pounds and, and um, you know, at, at a price. So it's going to be good for your shareholders. I mean, where is it going to come for, for, for you? How do you operate in that environment? I think, you know, we, we don't chase size or, or, or scale. I think <clears throat> we've got a net asset value of, of close to a billion dollars, around a billion dollars. You know, we're relevant. So, you know, if we're a billion, billion and a half or two billion, mm. it, it, you know, what, what matters is can we acquire those pounds yeah. uh, in a value-added way, you know, so we will issue equity when we're at a premium to net asset value and acquire pounds. If we're not, we, we, we won't acquire the pounds. Um, we have the contract with Kazad and Prom. I think it's an extremely valuable option in an undersupplied market, yeah. you know, to buy up to $100 million a year at our option at essentially the spot price. Yeah. You know, that, that, that's a valuable option. Um, so, so how long does that option run? It runs to 2027. It's a 10-year framework agreement from the time of our IPO. Uh, and yeah, so it runs through to 2027. So you're fine, as long as the NAV ratio works correct, in your favor. Correct, right. Correct. You know, and I think you know, the pounds that we have today yeah, you know, spot price is fifty-two dollars a pound. Yeah. You know, we've we've acquired that portfolio. I think at, at you know around thirty dollars a pound all in. Right. Yeah. So you know, it's it, it's been a, a, a good story. Um, you know, I think convincing ourselves that uranium was at the bottom of the cycle back in 2017, 2018 was was the right thing. Yeah. Um, and who knows where it goes to? You know. We talk, everyone's talked about incentive pricing for new capacity, 50 to $60 yeah. kind of. You, you look at cap, uh, you know, inflation and capital inflation, you know, I wouldn't like to rerun a, a, a feasibility study today and see, you know, to see what... Well, I think some CEOs have been quite honest and, and said, look, look, inflation has hurt us. Yet what, when we used to say 50 to 60, um, at one CEO say, but that's near 80 now. It's not an insignificant change. And maybe it's a good excuse to say, well, look, I, I, need, I can defer uh, actually getting into production anytime soon, maybe. Uh, or you say, no, genuinely, I need to make proper margin here because going forward, um, you know, the, the costs are significant for the capex, but I, I need to understand where I stand in all of this. And maybe that's the kick up the backside that utilities need. I think it's happening. I think it's just not right. visible because you know, a lot of these uh, contracts are bilateral negotiations. So you yeah. don't have visibility on them. No one stands up and reports their contract. Yeah, but that, that's I mean, the opaqueness of it. So, so as, yeah. a, as a retail investor, you're like, crikey. But even some of the fund managers are like, I, I literally am not hearing anything, in, you know, pounding the corridors. Um, there's no clues. Um, and even piece this together. I think, I think it's interesting. Can we come back to the, the your, your option, though? Because that's really fascinating. Is So... What are the terms of that? Because obviously, as 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 the price moves, I guess mm. the price your price moves it, too. It, 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 it it's a very mechanistic process, yeah. <clears throat> which which works well because there's no 
judgment. No arguing and yeah, negotiations. It's like, that's yeah, what it is. It's, yeah. We send a pricing notice. Cas Adam Prom come back within a defined period yeah. with a price. It's the average of the last two quoted weekly prices from Trade Tech and U- UXC. Okay. So you just look at the last two quoted prices. What's the average? That's the price. That price is held for 14 days, two weeks. We can go and finance. Uh, if we don't get the finance, we, we, we don't consummate. Don't take the option. Yeah. Right. Okay. Uh, and, and uh, you know, we can do all of it, none of it, multiple tranches. Right. Uh, and, and for Kaz Adam probably, they essentially get the market price. So if uh, they're happy and, to. And we're an additional customer. So you're not obliged, but they are. So if we, yeah. So if we, uh, if they, you know, if we exercise that option, they are obliged to supply. Um, and then it comes down to the delivery schedule. Yeah. You know, so we've seen recently where the delivery schedules that we've been quoted uh, or, or that we've agreed on have, you know, have gone out of it uh, because they don't, you know, they don't have a, a, you know, a whole lot of uranium sitting in their, in their cupboard. Well, it, well it's interesting, actually, it's the, the cynic in me goes, so, so where does that actually sit, physically sit? Does it sit with them? Or do you, are you, can you permission them to say move it to, I don't know, Kamika or whoever else would? So, so the, the way the contract works is the product is delivered at Kamiko. Right. So, so the Kaz Adam Prom deliver the product to, to the Kamiko facility. Once it's accepted and delivered, there's a book transfer from Kaz Adam Prom's name yeah. to our name. So, you know, we only see the product when it's it. in the Kamiko facility in Canada. Okay. So that's, that's quite good yeah. for you. That must we, make- you know, either pay after we've got the product all through an escrow arrangement. Got it, so we, we don't run any credit risk. Yeah. Uh, both parties run price risk because when we make the agreement, yeah. you know, we agree on, on a price and the price can go. So that's a that's a price plus, say, whatever the average of the two weeks is plus delivery to... No, Canada. no, no. no. It's, no? That's the price you pay in Canada. Got it. Okay. Okay, that's not too shabby, is it? Yeah. Yeah, okay. Um, so what... what so for retail, looking in at this story, your message to them is, is what? You can obviously go and buy uh, equities in the market, wherever you see fit, whoever you think is going to go up in value for whatever reason, momentum or actual physical production. What's, what's your um, ESP? It's, it's a risk-reward equation. You know, so if you uh, want four or five times your money, then maybe look at an explorer or a developer, but you're going to have to study what they have, where they are, permitting, you know, technology, yeah. resource, all those sorts of risks, you know, take a view on it yeah. and then invest your money. You know, what, what we offer is one-to-one leverage. So, yeah. you know, we look like the spot price. And, yeah. and, and if your view is that the spot price is going to double, yeah. then, you know, you're going to double your money with, with us. Yeah. Uh, now, you know, if, if if the price falls off and you're an explorer or developer, you yeah. have four to five times leverage on the way down. Yeah. You know, we're one to one. So it's it's just a risk reward. And and so if you want to play the physical or, or do you want to play um you know all the other risks in, in So right, so if I believe that the price of uranium because of the supply demand Fundamentals suggest that we're going to be short, and what happens when things mm. run short or are in scarcity, price goes up. If I believe that, then you're a nice bet for for that kind if of investing. You, yeah, exactly. Because right. you don't have to worry about geology risk. You know, yeah. ge- you know, mining without the risk. I love it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Where is the mine situated? What are the permitting issues? What are the you know local legislation issues? Yeah. We don't. You know, we don't have any of that. Our barrels sit 
in Canada, and we've got some in France at the Irana facility, so already produced in a barrel at a conversion facility. Right. And, what, and at some point, I know with you and the spot of said, we're not selling, we're not selling, we're not selling. At some point, because, I, I, well, there must be some point at which you go, well, okay, we can now allow ourselves to sell some of this. It's gone to, uh, let's say, 300 bucks, average 30. It's gone to 300 bucks. We'll sell some of this off. Is that is would that ever happen? I, I think that you know the the the, the big issue and, and, and Sprout have so, certainly you know talked about the redemption mechanism. Um, you know, if 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 the market thought that the pounds go into yellow cake and Sprout and can come out again, you, you know that will that will impact the spot price. Right. So you know we are a sequesterer of uranium, right. a permanent sequesterer. Yeah. Now, in, in, in 2020, we sold a, a few pounds. I mean, we got to a 30% discount in net asset value after the first wave of COVID. Yeah. Uh, Cameco had shut down uh, Cigar, mm. so we sold 300,000 pounds to, to Cameco and um, you know used that to, to buy back our own shares. But that was kind of a, a, a one-off situation. Right, right. Um, you know, maybe, maybe if we do get to the supply crunch that I think we, we will hit, a utility decides, I'll pay a 30% premium yeah. for yellow cake and I'll take their inventory. Or well, government decides. You know, because so so yeah. someone will have to convince our shareholders that, yeah. that uh, you know, to part with their equity based on, on the volume of, of pounds that we own. It's already produced in a safe jurisdiction, yeah. location, um, you know. Interesting times for uranium and all the, the, the it's, players it's, in it. It's, extremely interesting times and very exciting times. Thank you so much for coming in and joining us. Great stuff, Andre. Thank you. Thank you.